Hello and welcome to the Hoover Institution's 2014 Fall Retreat. I'm Chris Dower, Hoover's Director of Marketing and Strategic Communications. Our speaker in this podcast is John H. Cochran, a senior fellow at the Hoover Institution. The title of his talk is Inequality, Fad or Fundamental, and it was recorded on October 21st, 2014. My thoughts on inequality were sparked by this wonderful conference we had here at Hoover, it was in memory of Gary Becker, and, and what you do in memory of people like Becker is you get together and you talk about serious issues with serious data and, and why the issue matters, which is what um, I, I decided to think about. Um, so uh, inequality. Uh, what's interesting about it is how quickly it goes to the solutions <laughs> and, and, and what should we do about it. Now we have one solution before us uh, fairly constantly from, from our friends on the left. Um, the demand for a much greater income and wealth taxation, and also a substantial enlargement of the, uh, of the state, of the amount by which the government controls economic activity. It's not just take, take money from the rich, it's more government programs, it's minimum wages, it's living wages, it's the Justice Department coming in to tell everybody how much they should be paid, the regulation of the pay of CEOs, uh, unions, controls on finance, and so on and so forth. Uh, that, that's an answer that's been around for, for quite a while, uh, centuries maybe, but it's uh, now the answer to the problem of the day, inequality. Now you may hear a lot of academics say, oh, we need redistribution. Uh, this isn't, redistribution really isn't that much on the agenda. Now academics dream about it, as visionaries have dreamed about redistribution also for centuries. Uh, but when you put the numbers together, there just isn't that much money. Um, the 1% have some money, but, but we already spend trillions on various transfers. And when you read them carefully, the, the advocates of do something about inequality, um, uh, Paul Krugman, even our, our President Obama was, uh, was forthright about this. The point of taxation was not to raise revenue. The point of taxation was, was to get rid of the, you know, the wealth of the rich. Um, as in the French Revolution, uh, you know, cut off their heads and not to harvest the hair for wigs to give to the poor, just to cut off their heads. So I'll, I'll call it confiscatory taxation, uh, and that certainly remedies the problem of inequality. Uh, but why is inequality in and of itself such a problem? Now let's, let's uh, suppose that a sack of money blows in the room and some of you get 10 bucks and, and some of you get 100 bucks and I'm up on the speakers platform so I don't get there in time, I don't get anything at all, but uh, are we better off? Well, if, if you think inequality is a problem, no, we're not better off because it's inequality. Some got 10, some got 100. And uh, there's some version of these numbers where we should decline the gift because it's made us worse off because of inequality. Uh, now that's a hard, <laughs> that's a hard case to make, uh, isn't it? And, and when you make that case and, and then listen, I, you know, my job is to listen carefully to arguments from all sides and, and try to put together what makes sense and what doesn't. Uh, then you hear all sorts of problems. Inequality is, is this problem, that problem, the other. But when you, when you think about it, the case isn't really that inequality is a problem. Inequality is a symptom of other problems. And that, I think, is the hardest question to ask. Yes, 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 you're telling me about this problem. But is inequality a symptom of that problem, that that problem needs to be fixed? Or is inequality a problem in and of itself? Because the call for taxation says inequality is the problem. Get rid of inequality. Um, for example, um, diseases are a problem. Fever is a symptom. Fever you know, is not 
the thing you, you cure by itself. You figure out what's wrong with the patient, as the emergency room in Dallas recently figured out. Two aspirin and call me in the morning isn't always the right answer to fever, <laughs> uh, especially when the patient had Ebola. So let's think about what are the issues uh, and is, equality, is inequality the problem or is it just a, a symptom of problems that we genuinely should fix? So yes, it is true that the, the reported pre-tax income of, of wealthy people has, has grown. Now, not necessarily the same, they're different people, but there's a group of people in the top 1% who, who make more before taxes than they used to. Now, at this point, we usually go into a three-day conference where we fight about the numbers. And I think that's a mistake. Uh, no, the numbers are important. And, uh, and economists who put these numbers together from, from all sides of the spectrum are, are doing worthy work to understand what's going on in our society. But when we fight about the numbers, we take it for granted that once you prove the numbers, then it follows that we must tax away the wealth. And I, I don't think that's true at all. So let's forget about the fights about the numbers, which, which we could have a lot of fight about. Not, we don't need to take them for granted, but let's think about the consequences. So is inequality a problem or a symptom? Now, it depends. There's two kinds of inequality you can imagine among the, the top 1%. There's, let's call it the good inequality. Uh, Steve Jobs starts a company. They invent great products. Steve Jobs takes home one tiny fraction of the, the worldwide growth of wealth that, that his product created. He lives a, a great life for a while, poor guy, flies in private jets and so forth. That, that's good inequality. Um, then there's bad inequality. Sure, there, there's the possibility that, that uh, cronies of government agencies pervert, you know, they get themselves special tax breaks, special deals, make a lot of money. Uh, Russian oligarchs, I think of perhaps in, in that sentence. Uh, well, is our inequality good or bad? Now, uh, our conference spent a lot of time on this, and in the U.S., uh, th there's uh, Josh Rao presented a very nice paper. He's one of our senior fellows. Um, you know, you look at our billionaires, and they are mostly self-made people. They're not, they, they, they're, not, uh, they're not great inherited wealth. They're mostly self-made people, started new companies, and they start new companies in the tech business, not in resource extraction, which is more plausibly coming from government favor. So it, it, it is, it, in the US, it looks a little bit like good inequality, uh, but that's an interesting argument to have. But there's a lot more going on. Now, below the 1%, um, what's happened? The returns to skill have increased a lot in the last 20, 30 years. And by the way, that this is, <laughs> is new on the political scheme, but uh, us economists, we've been at this for 30 years. Uh, Kevin Murphy, who was at our conference, wrote, wrote the classic paper um, uh, to get the Larry Katz from, from uh, Harvard, showing that the returns to skill were increasing in the 1980s. So what's happened? Uh, people who can program computers and do math, but also people who know how to run organizations, who know how to read and write reasonable English, who can use computers, who can show up in time and pass the drug test. They've all seen their wages increase relative, relative to others. And you can, there's some interesting economics here. A globalized economy and the tech revolution have clearly increased the demand for, for skilled labor. And that's a lot of, of why people with those skills are earning more money. But this is where I love listening to Kevin. Uh, he, reminds, he reminded me, I'd forgotten, there's this supply and demand. Remember economics class? There's two curves. Now, now wages only go up like this when, when supply is restricted too. Um, people should see these great returns to, to education and go get the skills. When, when cars were invented in the, in the 1920s, the very few auto mechanics didn't join the 1% and live on great Gatsby estates, right? 
People who used to take care of horses learned how to take care of cars and auto mechanics. Uh, there were more auto mechanics and they, didn't, they, they lived well but didn't earn spectacular. So what's, what's stopping that process? Well, if we look at the literature, it's pretty clear. And, and both left and right are pretty clear about this. Uh, Janet Yellen was, if you read a little bit between the lines in her speech on inequality, saying the same thing. Awful public schools, <laughs> uh, dominated by teachers' union and, and not allowing children the choice to get out. Um, and, and those leave kids unprepared even to enter college. It's, it's really not college. It's people who don't have the basic math uh, to get into college. Um, and, and some other limits, too. Uh, limits on high-skill immigration. It's, it's interesting how limitations one place feed into something else. We don't let in. It's very hard for high-skill immigrants to get in. And as an MBA teacher, it's very frustrating to, to have wonderful students from around the world come to my classes, learn great stuff, and then they can't get a visa, and, and we kick them out of the country. Now, now of course, if there's, a, if there's a big wage being paid to high-skill, and you let immigrants come in with high-skill, that'll drive down the wages of high-skill and, and improve inequality, right? And similarly, if you let more high-skill people in, they start businesses that hire the low-skill people. So on, on both ends, uh, that, that would help. Uh, and it's interesting that we're not hearing from the left, let's fix this problem on the bottom. You're hearing, let's, let's tax the rich, which doesn't, it's hard to make much sense. Uh, now, I should say, um, there's, a, there's an answer to this always, uh, you know, well, let's subsidize education. And as one in the ed biz, uh, it, it's always tempting to say, subsidize my business. <laughs> But we should be a little bit careful before we jump uh, too quickly to subsidize my business. Um, uh, for example, if we, f if we just uh, give, give out free tuition, well then art history gets the same subsidy as computer programming. Now I love art history. Uh, I'm the son of a historian actually who liked art history as well, but that's not contributing to, to the skills that are valued in the marketplace. If we forgive student loans, especially if we forgive student loans preferentially for those going into government or social work, well, that's not driving more people into this high skill uh, range that, that will drive, or drive down inequality. And, and uh, one more thing one should always say in an economic conference, prices are a signal. So if you tax away the wealth of the rich, if you tax away the returns to skill, uh, then there's no signal left for a student saying, boy, should I take art history, which sounds like a lot of fun, or should I take computer programming, which sounds like no fun at all, but I'll get a high-paying job. Well, once you, once you tax away the premium, you make the problem worse, because fewer people get the skills. At the bottom of America, uh, we have a real problem. There's a segment stuck in Charles Murray's fish town, uh, a cycle of terrible early child experiences, awful education, uh, substance abuse, single motherhood, criminality. 70% uh, of, of male black high school dropouts will end up in prison, uh, hence essentially unemployable and poor marriage prospects. Less than half are even looking for legal work. Now this is a social and economic disaster. And it has nothing to do with whether hedge fund managers fly private or fly commercial. It's immune to floods of government money. And as so many researchers have reminded us, and Casey Mulligan did at our, at our conference. He's written some great books about this. Uh, government programs and drug laws are arguably as much of the problem as they are of the solution. Uh, in many cases, if you, if you get a job and earn some money, then, then you lose all your benefits. Uh, so it, it really doesn't pay to work along a lot of the stretch. Now, <coughs> this is a serious problem. But are we better off if we leave all these problems in place and just tax away the money of the rich? 
if the rich weren't there, suppose they all say, the heck with this, we're moving to Switzerland, would we not want to fix this problem anyway? What sense does it make to, le to leave the horrible public schools in place, the dysfunction in, in our poor communities in place, and, and just tax the rich and, and figure we've done something good, as opposed to, uh, to the opposite, let's, let's solve these, these problems. So these, these, uh, these cases all represent, I think, completely different problems. Where there are problems, we should fix them, but we fix them to fix them, as we have been talking about around Hoover especially for, for decades, not in order to reduce inequality. Um, so uh, why does inequality really matter? Well, let, 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 me, let, me, put it, uh, let me put it in an anecdote. Well, let's take a, a poor person, a vegetable picker in Fresno, or an unemployed te teenager on the south side of Chicago. Why does it matter? That, that person has a really hard life. But, but why does it matter whether the number of hedge fund managers who live in Greenwich, Connecticut, who fly in private jets, has grown from 10 to 100. How, how would they even know how many hedge fund managers fly in private jets? Uh, they, they have hard lives, which our policy should address. But what problem does top 1% wealth really represent to them? Now, now I, I've been reading, and, and our conference included, some Emmanuel Saez was there, um, there's some voices from the other side. And, and they recognize that, that this is a hard case to make, that inequality by itself is the problem. So then they move on to, well, inequality causes some other social or economic problem. Uh, and so we need to cure inequality by, by taxing the rich and the government. It's much easier to keep people from getting rich in the first place than to tax it away after the fact. So that's why increasing the government is a big part of the, uh, of the agenda. Um, so they, 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 they have to convince us that inequality causes some other problem. So I have a quote here. Uh, Standard & Poor's uh, sent out a report on inequality a while ago. Uh, it's a little bit curious why Standard & Poor's decided to set their economists off on a review to say inequality was a big problem. I, I think they were doing some penance for having downgraded the U.S. debt and, and being a little bit in the doghouse. Uh, and they had to say something nice to the administration. But anyway, here's what they wrote. Quote, why is inequality a problem again? Well, as inequality increased before the crisis, less affluent households took on more and more debt to keep up, or in this case, catch up with the Joneses. Uh, Vanity Fair, in a Vanity Fair article and later a book, uh, Joe Stiglitz wrote similarly that inequality is a problem because of what he called a lifestyle effect. Here's the quote, people outside the top 1% increasingly live beyond their means. Uh, it's a trickle-down behaviorism. Okay, well, they're answering my question. Our vegetable picker in Fresno hears that the number of hedge fund managers in Greenwich that has private debts has doubled. So he goes out and buys a pickup truck he can't afford. So we have to quash inequality with confiscating the wealth of the rich in order to encourage thrift in the lower classes. Now, once you look at it, I, I, I notice you chuckling, and I chuckled as well. Um, let's look at this argument. Of course, if this argument held water, wouldn't banning lifestyles of the rich and famous be far more effective? Or better, let's ban rap music videos. Perhaps I'm showing my, my taste as a, a white guy from the 1970s. Um, now, now, there is a problem that poor people don't save enough. Uh, that's, um, uh, you know, when you look at the life that poor people live, they are on the edge and have very little resources and, and saving would be, would be good. But is the number one best way to solve the problem that poor people don't save enough to eliminate the rich 
in order to eliminate envy of their lifestyles. Um, for example, maybe we'd want to think instead about removing the enormous taxation of savings in our social programs. In many cases, if you build up assets, you lose all your benefits. So there's, there's a strong incentive not, not to uh, do it. Um, um, and, and then in the same breath, so Paul Krugman recently bemoaned uh, how much people don't know about inequality and how separate the lives are of the super rich and the Hamptons. But that just confirms the puzzle. If people don't know about inequality and people underestimate inequality and people don't know about these great private jets, how in the world does it hurt them that these people exist? Well, con you know, consistency was never that important, I think, here. Now let's get on to a more serious argument. The next argument is that uh, there, there's, people will say there's a new consensus that inequality hurts economic growth. And it's interesting, nobody cites, nobody cites actual, they, they mostly cite other people that said there was a consensus that inequality hurts growth. Now, correlations, sure, you can run, we all know it's fun to run regressions one way or another, and there is some correlations there, um, but the correlations, you know, um, rich people drive BMWs. That doesn't mean that driving a BMW is gonna make you rich. And, and the correlation, that there's a mechanism there. There's always supply and demand. Uh, you know, let's think about Russia. Uh, it's a horrible, crony state, uh, very corrupt government. If you're a friend of, of Putin, you can make billions. Russia has huge inequality. Uh, I don't know about reported pre-tax inequality, because I'm not sure people are that honest about their taxes, but they have big inequality. They have very bad growth. But, but clearly, it's not inequality causing bad growth. There's a problem that's causing both inequality and growth. So let's ask, what, by what mechanism is it that inequality causes low growth in the US? Because we know of another mechanism, the Steve Jobs mechanism. There's a mechanism that when there's a technological innovation, people who seize it will make a lot of money, benefit all of us, the internet, we grow. Inequality is also a symptom of, of, uh, of good growth. So why is inequality per se leading to bad growth? Well, let's read the S&P report, uh, read uh, read uh, Stiglitz, read Krugman, and so forth. <clears throat> the problem is that rich people save too much of their money, and poor people, as we know, don't. So by transferring money from rich people to poor people, we can increase overall consumption and escape secular stagnation. Ah, I see. The problem now is too much saving, not too much consumption. And the idea is we forcibly transfer wealth from the rich to the poor in order to overcome what seems to be our, our deep problem, excessive national thriftiness. <laughs> now, I may be bludgeoning the obvious here, but let's just point out a few ways in which this is incoherent. If spending and aggregate demand are the problem behind long-run growth rates, and that's a big if. I don't accept the secular stagnation story at all, and it is still a story. It's, oh, there was a speech in 1938 that sounds interesting is, is the extent of it for the moment. Uh, well, but then standard Keynesian answers are, are better solutions than confiscatory wealth taxation uh, and, and the dream of redistribution that isn't going to happen. Standard Keynesians argued for, for 70 years for monetary and fiscal policy, not for confiscatory anti-inequality taxation in, until the latter came, came on the agenda. Now they sort of add, oh yeah, and inequality will help. It, it, to keep piling on here, it's not even very effective. Suppose, let's take this argument seriously. Okay, the problem in our country is everybody's is too much saving, not enough consumption. And the solution is we're gonna take money from people who, who save too much and give it to people who consume and that'll solve our problem. If you think that's the problem, the solution is fairly clear. The Queen of Versailles. 
it's fairly, income is only vaguely correlated with thriftiness. There's a lot of very wealthy, very unthrifty people, and it's fairly easy to find people who've maxed out their credit cards. So we'll transfer money from, say, you, I see a lot of thrifty people out here, but with some, some wealth. We'll find the Queens of Versailles, the Michael Jacksons, the people who really know how to spend some money, be they rich or poor. Now, of course, that's ridiculous. It's, 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 it's offensive to even talk about that. But if that was the problem, that would be the solution. And so uh, so uh, it's complete. And then, and then Krugman, in the same breath, tells us about the ostentatious overconsumption of the rich. That's the externality justifying taxation. Please, let, let's make up your mind. So that, that yeah, you can see what's going on. Uh, they're not, these, are not prop, these are not serious problems with, with solutions crafted to those problems. These are sort of debating points. Now, the most common argument, and I think one a, a little more sensible, is we have to reduce income inequality to avoid political instability. It's told if we don't redistribute the wealth, the poor will rise up and take it. Again, except we're not going to redistribute. It's just going to go to the government. But if we don't get rid of these noxious rich, there, there will be revolution. Now, as a cause and effect claim about the nature of human affairs, that strikes me as dubious amateur political science, especially here at the Hoover Institution, which doesn't just do economics, we do war, revolution, and peace. And the people who study political science here would chuckle at that theory of revolutions. Uh, maybe the poor should rise up and overthrow the rich, but they never have. Uh, revolutions come from middle classes that are, that are frustrated by corrupt political systems, uh, not by Good inequality has never caused a revolution. It, it, what a, inequality caused by people fairly earning uh, money by bringing innovative products and causing economic growth. That inequality by itself does, has never caused a revolution. Uh, so so it, it, that seems like a made-up story as well. So you see the interesting pattern. The answer is always the same, confiscatory wealth taxation and expansion of the state. That answer has been with us for hundreds of years. The question, the problem the answer is supposed to solve keeps changing. Uh, and when an actual economic problem is brought up, excessive spending by the poor, inadequate spending by the rich, I'm sorry, excessive spending by the rich, well, I forget which one they wanted to worry about, uh, political instability, they don't advocate that problem's natural solution. These are just being thought up to, to justify the desired answer. And then, then novel and undocumented cause and effect assertions about public policy uh, are dreamed up and they're, they're passed around like internet cat videos. Except I think that's an insult to internet cat videos considering the, the uh, those are pretty funny and, and these arguments are, well they're funny too but for sad different reasons. But these are serious people and, and I want to listen. Let's recognize that this was sort of balderdash and distraction and, and political, we're circling around an elephant in the room, let's find that element and, and talk about it. And in the end, most of these authors get around to the thing that they really see as the real problem of inequality, money and politics. Uh, they worry that too much money is corrupting politics, and they want to take away the money uh, to, pure away, to purify the politics. Now that understanding of their position, I think, explains their obsessive focus on income and wealth at the top 1%. When we know consumption actually of, of, of rich people is not that high, you just can't spend that much money. Uh, and so we point out, hey, consumption's really flat, but, they, but they're worried about income and wealth. Well, income and wealth buys political connections. It's interesting, the, even the language here. Uh, the, the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal will report the same fact in different ways. The New York Times will say the top 1%, the, the Wall Street Journal will say the top 1% have earned a lot more wealth, and the New York Times will say that the top 1% control a lot more, more wealth. Control. 
Uh, the New York Times will say uh, much in, most of the income has gone to the top 1%, whereas the Wall Street Journal will report the more correct, the, 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 uh, the, the income has been earned by the top uh, 1%. That, you, you can see the sense, this is uh, what they're worried about. Now, this critique is worth listening to, the critique of an increasingly rent-seeking society, echoes from left and right, and uh, libertarians as, as well as lefties will, will say, rent-seeking is a big problem, cronyism is a big problem, Stigler would find a lot to agree with Stiglitz and, and Friedman and Buchanan and so forth. But here I think comes the most astounding lack of logic at all. If the central problem is rent-seeking, abuse of the power of the state to deliver economic goods to wealthy and politically uh, co connected people, if we are becoming more like Russia, how in the world is more government the answer to this problem? If we increase the, the statutory minimum federal income tax rate to 70% on top of state taxes, local taxes, estate taxes, payroll taxes, corporate taxes, sale taxes, and on and on, won't that just increase the demand for tax lawyers, lobbyists, loopholes, special deals from Congress, and so forth? If you think cronyism is the problem, why is the first item on your agenda not to repeal the Dodd-Frank Act and Obamacare? Surely two of the biggest invitations to cronyism in our lifetime. If you run a big business, you better be on the good sides of the Secretary of Health and Human Services. And then let's move on to the rotten energy section of the corporate tax code. Now they don't say this. Uh, they don't say let's attack the teachers union and, and give choice to, to education either. And I think that there is the important and I think resolvable difference. I'd like to be able to have a conversation where we know what we're talking about and, and can resolve our differences. So here too, Joe Stiglitz wrote a very powerful sentence that I think illuminates it. He said, wealth, the problem is that wealth is the main de determinant of power. And I think Stigler might answer, no, 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 you got it wrong. Uh, power is the main determinant of wealth. To Stiglitz, if the state grabs all the wealth, even if that wealth was fairly won, then the state can ignore rent seeking it can, and it can benevolently exercise its power on behalf of, of the common man and woman. I think Stigler would say, no, no, you got it wrong. Government power inevitably invites rent-seeking. Uh, his solution to cronyism is limit the government's ability to hand out goodies in the first place. A simple, transparent, f flat, and, and low tax system uh, is what gets rid of cronyism, not, not a confiscatory tax system for special flavor. Um, well, I think now we've boiled the, the argument down to a simple question of cause and effect. Uh, does raising tax rates and, and increasing the government, increasing its direction of economic activity, reduce rent-seeking and cronyism? Uh, I, I think the obvious, uh, I think the opposite is obvious. Um, which is, by the way, the rather traditional conclusion uh, of, of, acad of academics and, and, and uh, history and so forth. Big states invite corruption, small limited states uh, tend to be less uh, corrupt. Um, now, maybe if I were trying to be polite, I'd say it's an interesting new theory to be investigated, but I'm not trying to be polite, <laughs> and it isn't. This seems like the cream on the cake of, of, of ad hoc assertions of cause and effect relationships, changing the sign of everything we know. Uh, again, the, the case is tax away the wealth, and then our government w will be pure. And, and um, well, for example, they say if tax rates are really high, then uh, CEOs won't, won't bother uh, won't bother seeking high, high amounts of wages. If that would work, that would be interesting. Let, let me be clear. As I look around the world, uh, cronyism, rent-seeking, using the power of the state, uh, that is a huge problem. And, and it's not just driving inequality. 
It's driving most of the poverty, lack of growth, and human misery in the world. But, but you know, Egypt is not suffering because it isn't good enough at grabbing wealth, stifling markets, and blocking the rise of entrepreneurs. Uh, quite the opposite. And I think more uh, grabbing wealth, stifling markets, and blocking the rise of the entrepreneurs might make our government look more like theirs uh, and not something better. Well, uh, uh, let's, let's go with that argument. Uh, as I look at that argument, now that we understand what it's about, I think it's truly scary. Uh, they're saying the government should, should confiscate wealth so that, that wealth can't influence politics in directions they don't like. Koch brothers, no. Public employee unions, yes. Um, well, you can see at, at why I rebel now at the presumption that inequality is a problem. Everyone says, oh, inequality is a problem. What are we going to do about it? Why I rebel at the task of saying, well, we should find an alternative solution. No, inequality has become a, a meaningless buzzword. It's, it's sort of like sustainability or social justice. Uh, I don't think it makes sense to, to discuss the free market solution to, to social justice. Uh, it's become a code word for sort of thoughtless intrusions into economic activity, um, minimum wages, and, and so forth. I, I think, I think uh, New York Mayor Bill de Blasio did us a great favor by, by bringing the whole thing to farce. Um, so reported in the New York Times, uh, they just put in new energy efficiency standards for New York high-rises, uh, thick windows and so forth. Why? To cool the planet a billionth of a degree? No. To stem the rise of the ocean by a nanometer? No. First on the list to address inequality, of course. Poor people pay more of their incomes and heating bills, you see. Th this, this is where we're going. Now, why is this so high on the political agenda right now? Uh, not in academia. We've been studying this for 30 years. Why is this such a political debate? Why is everybody hopping on board? Why does Janet Yellen, chairman of, chairwoman of the Federal Reserve, feel like she needs to talk about inequality? Uh, why is the IMF adding, oh, yes, we're worried about inequality now? Um, well, you can see it's become a buzzword. And I think the answer is pretty clear. Um, this, why is this on the agenda? because our administration doesn't want to talk about Obamacare, Dodd-Frank, bailouts, debt, stimulus, uh, the rotten cronyism of, of our failed energy policies, uh, the denial of education to poor and minorities, uh, the abject failure of their policies to help poor and middle-class uh, people, and especially the sclerotic growth that, that, that we're into, the, the real failures of, of things that would help people at the bottom. Uh, rather than talk about that, let's just start a centuries-old fight about inequality and taxing the rich, uh, bring up class envy, resurrected from a Huey Long speech in the 1930s, apparently. I think that's sort of like you're in a third-grade math class and things aren't going really well. What do you do? Throw a puppy in. You know you're going to get to the bell. Uh, they'll talk about something else for a little while. So I, I titled the talk Fad or Fundamental. Together with the obvious in, incoherence of the ideas of, of why inequality matters, uh, I, I think uh, we can say that this too will pass. Uh, now, equality is said to be, oh, this is the most important uh, issue of our lifetime. Except it doesn't take much memory to remember when health insurance was the most important economic issue and then financial crisis was the most important economic issue. Uh, and and uh, I think we're about to discover that public health is the most important issue we face. Um, so I, I, I have a hope that this too will pass once a new set of talking points becomes politically convenient and, and we can go on to something else. So I don't think we should fall for the trap. I don't want to surrender the agenda I don't want to say, I, don't, I, I keep getting asked the question, so what's your solution to inequality? No, 
Uh, I don't want to talk about that. I want to state our own agenda. I care about prosperity. I care about fixing the real serious economic problems that our country faces, and especially the people on our bottom of our society face, and the people globally, the people who live on $2 a day around the world, that, that no amount of taxing and, and giving money is going to help them. Uh, they, they need economic growth. And the solutions, we know these solutions. Uh, the, the secrets of prosperity are simple and old-fashioned. Property rights, rule of law, honest government, economic freedom, political freedom. Yes, a decent government that, that gives us decent roads and, and decent schools and, and laws necessary for the common good. And I, I used to not have to say this, but I will now, a moderately competent public health service. <laughs> Confiscatory taxation, extensive government uh, control of economic activity and wages, that's just not on the list of things that give us prosperity and help people who, who need our help. Thank you. For more podcasts from the Hoover Institution, please visit hoover.org or Hoover's channels on either iTunes U or SoundCloud. I'm Chris Dower for the Hoover Institution. Thanks for listening.